Welcome to Call and Shots. This is Seth Part. Now, I'm joined again by uh, the official Hawks correspondent of of the the Call and Shots podcast uh, um, uh, from Locked On Hawks and and other places. Uh, Brad Rowland, how you doing? I'm well. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, that's a nice title you've just given me. Official correspondent. I'll take it. <laughs> so I, I I titled this this episode "Are the Hawks Good." And that's that's meant a little bit tongue in cheek. They're seven and three. They're I think it's you know clear they're not bad. Uh, that that sort of comes from um, uh, the, um, sort of the first game of my last year in Milwaukee, Mike Butcher's first game in charge. And about early in the third quarter of that game, I so, uh, uh, like a group chat I had. We might be pretty good, and so that, that's 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 might uh, that's now been sort of the standard of like. Of, of are we good? So it's like you know, Hawks MB MBG might be good, or Hawks MBNG might not be MNB might not be good. So it's more of that standard we're, we're going by, and that's like, hey, can this team do some things? Um, the Hawks are seven and three, coming off ending Mil- Milwaukee's unbeaten run to start the season. Um, it's been common in other places that that's a good record. Some of the underlying fundamentals aren't perfect. So there, like, how good is this team now, and how good do you expect them to be kind of over the rest of the season? Yeah, like you said, they. I think they are good. The question is how good, and uh, there is, I don't know, there's, there, there's, a no, there's noise with every team after 10 games, uh, almost no matter what. Um, and then you throw in the fact that the Hawks' first five games, in which they went 4-1, and one, came against five of the worst teams in the league. Um, and, four, and three of them were at home. So it was like they started out with this 4-1 record that, you know, they earned. They went out and won the games, but they played no one for the first two weeks, basically. And uh, they've had some you know, up-and-down performances. Even, you know, the two of the last three, the Milwaukee game you, you referenced, they trailed the entire first half. Uh, they, they won in New York when they were down by 23 in the first half. So it's just been these... Jekyll and Hyde kind of things, and you know, big picture, I, I had them for like you know a win total in the high 40s coming into the season, and I think I still would be in that same range. You know, there is stuff to get into under the hood about the shot profile on offense and uh, some of the way that the the bench units are working, and you know, Novak Donovich still that being a huge loss for them so far. Um, but you know, I think my my overall opinion hasn't changed a ton, even if we now have. At least a little bit more of the proof of concept after actually getting to watch ten games of a team that was largely the same, but also made a very one big difference in the offseason. I think that's a good place to start because that's that's for a team that's confused. That's similarly confusing. I think the pairing of Trey Young and Dejounte Murray has worked better than I thought it did. I'm not sure that the pairing has translated as well to the overall team, though those two players seem to be balancing things, you know, okay. I think, you know, Trey has played more off the ball. He's taken more catch-and-shoot jumpers. DeJounte Murray has been reasonably willing to take shots and has been certainly in Milwaukee. He's against Milwaukee. He showed that when um, Trey is off the floor, there's someone who can actually, you know, get some things moving. I'm... that pair may be taken away from a few other players. Yeah, it's interesting because the I mean, it's very early for on-off stuff, but like 
the two of them playing together has gone quite well, to your point. They're like they're like plus 12 or something with those guys on the court together, and that was one of the big questions is how it was going to work, and I, I kind of like what I've seen. Um, one of the, maybe not a secret thing, but, you know, Trey Young has his counting stats and all this year, but he's actually had a pretty bad start to the season. Like, he's not making shots. He's got career-worst efficiency, um, and I think that's dragging down a lot of this, and you can certainly argue whether that's just early early sample noise or if it's maybe caused or at least partially caused, I would say, by less spacing than he's ever had, basically. Um, and that's not because of Murray, who's actually been a little bit more aggressive taking threes and stuff like that, but uh, beyond that, no bogey, et cetera, they kind of have some spacing problems, and um, the usage rate is actually, I think, even higher this year so far for Trey, which is a surprise, at least, at least to me, at least a little bit, with Murray on the team. And the, and the Trey plus bench units without Murray have been brutal. I think maybe that's partly, again, because of Trey struggling, partly because you look around and, like, he's used to having guys around him that can at least give some cover, and they don't really have that either. So I think that Bogdanovich will solve a lot of those questions. But, you know, you know this well. Like you can't assume that the entire team is going to be in place all the time. And they've really only had that one injury. It's been a that's, – that's a major one, but – He's really their only, you know, outside of AJ Griffin, who had a great game against Milwaukee, by the way. Um, but he's still a rookie. Uh, they kind of need that. But th- it's one of those, like, I don't know, roster construction challenges, because I've made fun of this deal a lot. But, like, you know who would help this team a lot? Kevin Herter. <laughs> Kevin Herter would be very helpful on this team right now. So, I'm literally just uh, about to ask that. I, I was, I was... Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's yeah. kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, I said the same thing at the time. That was definitely a a luxury tax avoidance move that was given the cover of a let's get our draft pick back move. And it was really a luxury tax move. And uh, obviously I don't, want, I don't want to make too much out of that, but uh, you look at up and down the roster and, you know, I, I like Justin holiday probably more than most people do, but he's just a fourth wing. That's what he is. And um, you know, guys like uh, they basically need AJ Griffin right now to be pretty good on, on offense and in particular. And he's a, he's a 19 year old rookie. So they have some weaknesses. The depth is not what it used to be on this roster, but, uh, you know, the big picture stuff, at least with uh, the biggest question that I think nationally was talked about was, like, can, can these guys fit together on the court? And that's been a positive so far. And, and it's it's almost been the vision the of, of Murray. It You know, you don't ascribe causation, but I think kind of the, the starting forward pair, I think, have, have been the two that have, from from what I've seen, suffered the most and that's um you know Huntigo looked like he was bored and maybe he's had some injuries and has never really delivered fully on that promise is that fair to say and um, um John Collins who's a player that I like and I'm going to spend the second half of this podcast trying to trade to half the league um <laughs> has really been relegated to a much peripheral role than really and for someone who, for, who um, is it fair to say, has made noises in the past about a bigger role, um, has definitely gone the other way this year. Yeah, I think that's all fair. You know, the Hunter thing is interesting on its own in that his role is more similar um, this year than Collins' role in particular. But, you know, the thing with Hunter has always been what is he theoretically versus what he actually is. Um, and you know, that, the same thing with the, there's a whole talk about the contract extension that he got before the season started, and they were definitely banking on him taking a step forward with that deal. But you know, he's been okay. He still is a pretty, he's a pretty decent defender. His offensive shortcomings are pretty clear if you watch him enough. Like he's a pretty bad ball handler for a wing. He just kind of makes. He's not a good processor. He's not a good passer for a small forward. There are question marks there. 
in the right matchup, he looks good. Uh, defensively against Milwaukee, he played very well. But he's not a guy who has established himself as this high-end player. It's just that you know he's, he's got that former top-five pick shine on him still and just got a lot of money because they need him. But he has not proven all that much. And the Collins thing is interesting because the first, I think, three or four games of the season, they were trying to get him the ball a little bit more, it seemed. And he played very, very well, like very efficient. He was productive. And then it kind of settled in. And you know this happened a little bit last year. Um, with the way that all, you know, with Gallinari playing more more games, etc. Collins has been, I think you've mentioned it, but Collins has been a guy who has not necessarily made a huge stink, but certainly has at least noted his smaller role. Um, and, you know, it was always going to be the case on some level. He's not going to be your number two on a good team, um, I don't think. But I think he's being underused. That's my that's my stance. I think he's also, by the way, an underrated defensive player now. There's this There's this thing from him on from pre-draft and early in his career, he was a bad defender, and he was, but now he's really not. Um, but they, they need to use him more on offense, or you know, you're not optimizing what he can be, because yeah, we saw it in the playoffs even. Uh, he's, he's, he's capable and I think willing to do the little stuff to make you better, and he does that, but you're still paying him $25 million a year to have like a 15% usage rate right now. And it's like, I don't know if that's the best usage, but if you look at the roster, that's kind of the way they've always had it with Collins since they brought Capella in, um, and now even more so with the Kongwu. Like, they had these two non-shooting centers, and you're bringing in this this power forward who's probably best as a rim roller, and he's made some sacrifices in a way that a lot of guys already haven't. So that's a long answer, but those two guys are certainly uh, interesting to talk about. Hunter, just because of what he maybe maybe could be, and Collins, I think, has proven a lot more, but they're also just asking him to do very little compared to what he's capable of, I think. Let's get, let's get back to Hunter a little. I think, you know, I said um, those, those, those you mentioned those were some of the questions about him coming in. I mean, he was he was a, a college, basically a four offensively, who guarded down a little bit because of his, his defensive skills. But it seemed like in his second year, especially, there did seem like there was some progress in terms of his his sort of his handle, his off the dribble game, his ability to play make. And and I don't know what what it is in the intervening years. It just it doesn't seem like that has ever been built upon or has maybe even regressed. Um, it, it was it was there just was I looking for things that weren't really there, you know, at that time, or is it just kind of circumstances have sort of waylaid that development? I think it's a little bit of all of that because you're right. You know, his second season it was a very small sample because he got hurt right after this happened. But there was like a 15-ish game sample where he looked very good. And the numbers were really good, and the breakout was seemingly happening for him. And he is an older guy by draft standards. He was already 21, 22 when he was drafted. And uh, so he's a little bit older than you might think he is now in year four. But, you know, last year was kind of a lost season because of injuries. And when he, even when he was playing, he wasn't healthy by all accounts. That's not, that's not even just the excuses. Like, that was the case. He was not healthy last year. But, yeah, I think... <laughs> It's not just one thing either. The handle has been a consistent issue um, to the point where, like, he'll have three or four times a game when it's just it's just glaring. Like that cannot happen to you. Um, as and, you know, he's probably their third or fourth option most of the time, but they do let him run some stuff, and they let Nate McMillan's offense is open to this more than a lot of teams are. They let him kind of explore the space in the mid range and probably a little bit too much and. He likes to settle for pull-up jump shots, and it's kind of a perfect storm of a coach that, that kind of lets him do that, and also he's just not been good enough to justify taking some of those shots and creating. And as a prospect, too, you mentioned being a four on offense in college. 
he's never been a great processor, even defensively. Like I think he is much more of a he's a thinker on the court. He's gonna he kind of has to let things happen. He's not a advanced uh, see the court a different way kind of guy. He's always kind of been rigid in that way, and it takes him a second. And uh, a defense that shows up off the ball sometimes as well. So you know he's he's still a flawed player. I think they know that but they also know that they are so heavily invested in him even before the extension, but especially now with the extension that like they're kind of just, you know, almost uh, attached to what he's going to do for better or worse. But I think that they'd almost be better in the short term by making him even a smaller usage guy and just kind of make him a pure three and D piece. But they also don't want to just like squash any, any potential of him growing more than that. So they're, they're in this weird in between area where he's kind of doing neither and it's not making, it's not necessarily making them better. Did it basically come down in the offseason to him or her pick one? Uh, I think maybe a little bit. I honestly think that they were going to trade someone to get under the tax. And it, when it wasn't Collins, it became Herter, I think. It was one of those things where they had Bogey on the roster already. Make, you know, Those guys are both twos in a natural sense. Obviously, Herter and Bogdanovich both play a little bit of the three at, at times, but they're both probably twos. Uh, at least Bogey's closer to three now just because of his limitations. But um, in Hunter, like for whatever reason, and I think it's because of the draft and the way they traded up for him and his skill set, he's kind of always been in the borderline untouchable category. Like he's not in the Trey Young category of actually untouchable, but they, they have not wanted to move. It, it, anytime there's a rumor, and it's, there's been a lot of rumors the last couple years with the Hawks, Hunter's always in that kind of, you know, only for a star kind of tier for them. And I, you could certainly argue, I would probably argue that they've valued him too much to this point. But if I was going to give you a, a listing a year ago of guys that the Hawks were going to trade, uh, Hunter would have probably been either the second or third least likely. Uh, him or Rakongwu would have been the uh, the guys right behind Trey on that list. And I don't, so I don't, I don't think it was necessarily Herter versus Hunter, but once they traded Herter, then it kind of gave Hunter's team more leverage, I would say, to kind of even say, all right, this is, we're, we're kind of it right now on the wing. Yeah. It's sort of the the uh, the Kyle Kuzma zone is, is is kind of where that is. Uh, we're describing it as 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 Hunter as no, he's going to be a star, so we can't trade him. And interestingly, I I, I bring up Kuzma because I was thinking of him when you were talking about John Collins, and I think I think Collins is a better player than Kuzma, but he has he's not even being given a chance to even have that role. Yeah. Of uh, and and yeah, um. Is do you think there's a they path forward to kind of rebalance? Um, is it um, you know the 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 other guy on on the front line who I'm as you know I'm a big fan of is a Kongwu, and I'm wondering if if were there were they to move on from Capella and go with a Kongwu, does that sort of naturally put Collins into a more I don't know if central he's never going to be central because there is no center aside from Trey. Um, but does that almost rebalance to, to getting a little more out of him? Or is it just like, well, you're going you're gonna to have the, the dive man at the five and, and Collins can maybe pick up the scraps occasionally? I think that might do it a little bit because the Kongwu, um, while he's not necessarily a proven shooter, they are having him take mid-rangers now. They do think that he could maybe step out on the floor a little bit. And I think, you know, in the future, a Kongwu might be a guy who can space the floor a little bit and might open things up. Now, that front court pairing has some challenges uh, just size-wise. Like, they're not very big. And, you know, we can get into this if you want to about the Capella thing, but th- that's been a talking point for two years now is, like, when are, when are they, not even if, when are they going to move off of Capella? And 
that's a whole different subject because, you know, they love Capella. And I think rightfully so. Capella's been really good for them. But it's also this weird resource allocation thing where you drafted this guy in a Congo who they love, by the way, who I like a lot at six. And, like, he's kind of... I hate this term, but he's kind of blocked by Capella because they can't really play together. So it's like, what do you, is this the best way to operate moving forward? Yeah, I think it would probably help Collins offensively if Capella wasn't there. But you still have to have a plan beyond Okongwu. Like, I think Okongwu, for all of his strengths, and he has a lot of them, you're probably going to have to have a big center on your team that can soak up some minutes because we've seen Okongwu have some really ugly moments against big big centers, your Valanchunas types even. Not even necessarily in B or Jokic, but guys who are legitimate seven-foot mashers have given Okongwu lots of problems, as you might imagine, just given his size. So, like, you kind of have to replace Capella, not necessarily in full, but you have to get – there's a little bit of a mix and match there too. But, you know, big picture, do they – is this a team that's, like, ripe for a move? Maybe. They have a lot of guys in that, like, $20 million range that are veterans that they don't necessarily have to hang on to, but they also have this, like, internal mandate to win now. Like, it's this weird ownership pressure thing where, like, taking a step back is not really on the agenda for this year. So it's, like, kind of a weird situation where they're – and also head coach, uh, not exactly a development guy. Nate Millen said on, into a microphone last year, we're done with development. So they're in this weird spot for sure. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned Valanciunas because there was a, there was a, there's a uh, parallel to draw there. I thought that when I think that that at this point in their relative careers and going into last year, that Jonas Valanciunas is a better player than Stephen Adams. But the Grizzlies going from Valanciunas to Stephen Adams, the way I described it was taking the training wheels off. And in that case, it was it was uh, well Trey Desmond Bain. I'm uh, um, sorry, uh, Ja Desmond Bain. Kind of do your thing now without the security blanket of, you know, pitching into Valanciunas. Um, I, it, it's in a very different way. I, you, you talked about how good, how, how much they've liked what Capella's given them. And it's, at this point in his career, it's fine. I think that he's, he's not ever kind of gotten back to the level, and, and this is partially the uh, yeah, result of the league environment changing, I think. He's never been as effective as he was kind of in, you know, that, that peak where he was James Harden's pick-and-roll partner in Houston. He's been fine. He's been good. But there's but you know what's there. And and so this is maybe the tension we're talking about between, like, development and win now. But to really, like, step forward, they need a Kongwu to be a little more than that. And it's, as you say, maybe he's a little blocked by being a backup who doesn't get to do much except... The however many times a year they play Milwaukee, and everyone says, "Wow, he guards Giannis well." Yeah, I mean, I, I'm quite high on Capella, and I I certainly admit to that. But even I have said numerous times, like they're going to have to make the change at some point. Like I think everyone kind of knows it. They gave him this kind of a weird extension, which hasn't even started yet. By the way, he has a two year extension that's about to start at the end of this season. And that was a kind of a weird move. I'm not really sure if it was just like to make him easier to trade or why they did that, but. You know, I think everyone kind of, at least at least off the record, it's like, okay, Kong was going to have to be the guy at some point. But yeah, I think that Capella's defense is really valuable to them. But you could certainly argue on the other side, like, what's that? What's that giving them? You know, two years ago, I think Capella was like a top five defender in the league kind of level. Um, but he was when they, when they made their run to the conference finals. But he was it was basically like him being forced to do everything, and he's not maybe capable of doing that. Like, not that many guys are. So, and offensively, to your point, he's definitely regressed from his 
from his uh, from his ceiling in Houston, even early in Atlanta. He's taken probably a half step back on offense. He's not a great finisher anymore. But defensively, he really is the guy they rely on at the highest level. So it's like this weird back and forth. And, you know, yeah, in theory, you want, you could maybe make a very cogent argument for trading Capella to improve your win situation. But I, I think I heard our, uh, our mutual friend Nate Duncan talk about this recently. Like, who's the three that you're trading Clint Capella for? Like, that's not really what teams want to do. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a perfect spot to do that. But, like, it's not as easy as you might think to trade a guy who I think is a top, you know, 12 center in the league still in Capella. That's great, but which teams want to give up the valuable resources of two-way wings to get a 28-year-old center who is limited on offense? I'm going to beat a dead horse and say maybe they need a a rim-protecting big to pair with uh, DeMontis Sabonis. And then you bring in Kevin Hurt. No, of course not. That's not possible. Capella for Hurt would be would be very very would be very very funny. But yeah, I, it really yeah. is. I, I swear, I'm, I'm sure you're not surprised. But like the Capella, when is the the when is Capella trade thing happening? As only short of John Collins in terms of uh, trade rumor stuff in the last couple of years for the Hawks. It's basically Collins number one by a lot, along with like Miles Turner in the entire NBA of just being perpetually available. And then there's this like sub conversation about like, okay, what is the date that the Hawks finally just give up on this Capella thing and it clear the way for a Kongwu? And it's not because Capella's bad. It's just because everyone wants to see a Kongwu. And I, I do get that as much as I don't like the conversation because Capella is really valuable. A Kongwu is really good. And you, got, you, you have to want to see him at some point. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't even like, I wouldn't even phrase it as, you know, giving up on Capella. I would say that it would be investing in a Kongwu if I was trying to, I was trying to sell ownership on a move or something like that. Um, where where are we with uh, Bogdanovich returning to the court, and what are the kind of expectations of of what he's got in the tank? Yeah, that's an interesting question because uh, I'll take it. I'll, I'll do the short version. The Hawks said when he had his procedure at the end of the season last year that they were expecting him to be back for the regular season. Um, Obviously, that has not happened. And notably, in the same press release in which they announced that timetable for Bogdanovich, Jalen Johnson had a, not a, not not the same procedure, but certainly had a, a, a procedure, and they listed him as being back for training camp. And it was very notable in the fact that it was different wording. And ever since, they've really hesitated to ever give anything resembling a timetable, on record, off record, even behind the scenes, I hate everybody's this. just guessing. Can, Me too. It's the can worst. I, can I, can, what are guys? What are we doing here? It's just the worst. Um, and now, and now, like you, you see him out. Like, he's around the team. He's he's going on a road trip, so he's not like super far away. Today, even as we're recording this, he was seen during the open part of practice at the very end doing some individual work. But he's not he's not progressed to practice. Uh, he's not he's not been practicing with the team. He's not played any five on five. I don't think he, he's even played three on three to this point. And it's been, I mean, he had the procedure in May. So we're talking about six months now. And it wasn't like he had a reconstruction. It was a, you know, it was, it was a tweak of some kind. And even then, they, they didn't really give details on the procedure either, which is also a favorite of mine. But, yeah, it's, it's been longer than anticipated, I think. They, they have not said he's had a, ses- a setback. That's been asked as well. They've said no to that. And maybe they're just being careful because you've seen him. The last, the last two seasons, by the end of the year, Bogey's been kind of dragging his leg. And I think they might be a little bit cautious because they want him to be playing into April. But that's a very optimistic read. I think right now I'm wondering aloud how long it's going to be because he's not close now, I don't think. I mean, I, During training camp, 
I was uh, kind of uh, picked on for saying, look, I don't think he's coming back anytime soon. And people were like, really? I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, he's not doing anything. Like, until you're practicing, you're not close. And he's not practiced yet. So that's that's all I have right now. I mean, Mar- March is technically the season. So I'm not, <laughs> not, not saying it's going to be that long, but, I mean, that's when, when you say he'll be back for the season – yeah. For the, like that's, that's. I mean, maybe, maybe it's Christmas. I, this is that. This is a total guess. I'm yeah. not, now. Now I'm now I'm in, I'm in the guesswork mode now. But you know, how long does it usually take? Even for a veteran who didn't have training camp, it once he practices, it's still a couple more weeks, right? I mean, maybe you know more than I do on this, having been on the team side. But I can't imagine him playing within a week or two of him starting practicing. Like it's going to be a little bit longer, no matter when he comes back. I mean, it's, I mean, some of that depends on, like, when he starts, quote-unquote, practicing. That's sort of, to some degree, subject to the schedule in that, True. like, he might not start practicing because they might not have a real practice for 10 Well, days. it was, it was actually funny. Uh, there was this funny moment um, during the Hawks road trip last week. This is one of those insidery things. But Dominic Wilkins got sick, and he's the analyst for the TV broadcast. And they got Travis Schlank to do an entire half. I watched that. And He does Travis, not know what poutine is. That was yeah. That was the whole thing. That was that was funny. But Travis on that broadcast, and by the way, Tra- Travis is notorious. I like Travis. He's notoriously bad at injury at injury updates. He's always wrong when he says things. Um, and he he said, yeah, we're 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 gonna we're thinking about uh you're thinking or planning one of those words about having Bogey uh, get reintegrated into practice when we get back from the road trip. So first practice after the road trip, it's like, all right, is Bogey doing anything more? And Nate McMillan's like, no, why? No, he's not doing anything else. And then they had another full practice like three days later, still nothing, and uh, here we are again. So, well, they uh, thought was, about it. Yeah, there was there was a ray of hope there that he was going to practice sometime soon, and then suddenly there wasn't anymore. So, who knows? So, speaking of, of ray of hope, and that's a terrible segue, but whatever, <laughs> um, uh, A.J. Griffin. Um, but that, that's, uh, that, 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 that came out of nowhere a little bit. I mean, he's a, he's a player who obviously had a, a, a big reputation – Pre, uh, previously and and but it's taken him a while to kind of get going uh, w- with the Hawks like what what can we expect from him is he someone who is going to continue to be in the rotation or is is that sort of a a, a one off that we won't see again for another couple months I'm actually excited to learn that maybe even tonight as we're talking because you know he obviously got the he's been the 10th man this year essentially the, the Hawks have been playing nine guys every night with bogey out and Griffin's been number 10 and he's played some rotation stints, but it's usually three minutes here, three minutes there. And then with Trey out, cause he was the first, that was the first injury of the year. That was not Bogdanovich that happened over the weekend. And Griffin gets put in the, uh, gets put in the rotation plays incredibly well. And as you well know, that's a perfect storm for a fan base because they already wanted to see him anyway. The Hawks have some veterans who I think are competent, like your, the holiday brothers, etc. Um, but you know, no one, no fan wants to see Justin Holiday over AJ Griffin. Like that's just that's just part of the deal. And AJ Griffin, I like a lot. Like I've I've been very high on him the entire time. He was a former you know top three guy in that class before he had some injury issues uh, coming out of high school. And like the shooting is what it is. Like his shooting pro- projects to be sky high. And he looks healthy to me. That's an underrated part of this is that, uh, you know, even at Duke, when he shot the heck out of the ball, he didn't seem to have that same burst that he had as a, as a, as a high school prospect. And I think maybe now another year into it, he's getting a little bit more of that burst back. So long story short, I, I like what, they, what he's been doing so far. He looks comfortable. He's not playing like a rookie in terms of, like, being shy. He's being aggressive. 
and decisive and the shooting he's already getting guarded like a like a high level shooter which is really helping the offense flow defensively it's you know he's a 19 year old rookie he's had some bad moments for sure um and i think it might be an adventure for a while but uh part of it is that they just kind of need his shooting I, I mean i'm not someone who argues on behalf of rookies playing on good teams but without bogey they just probably needed to try him at some point just for his dynamism as a shooter they finally had, they finally did it and then uh, we'll see if Trey plays tonight uh, if Nate McMillan will go back to him with the quote-unquote normal rotation, I think he will. I think it'll be less than it was the other night, but uh, it was it was pretty poetic and also causes probably a little bit of internal headache for Nate McMillan that Griffin was so good in that game because now everybody wants to see him more. Right. And, you know, at sort of more, mostly first look, but it looks like he's got a little more or a lot more than just a shooter. I mean, he's he's big. Um, yep. He's got, he's got, he's sort of, he's got an awkward game. And I mean that in, in, in a good way in, in like, he's, he seems like he, he knows how to lean and, and twist and, and do all those little things to kind of combine with his, his, his physical presence to, to get the space he needs to, to get shots off. Um, and, you know, that, that's sort of almost in stark contrast. You mentioned, uh, DeAndre Hunter playing a little stiff, and and I think that's almost the reverse of that. Uh, yeah. In 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 terms of Griffin, I think that's having that little extra bit of of wiggle seems like something that would be pretty useful on a on a team that has maybe been a little stagnant at times. Yeah, Griffin's the kind of guy that can make you get carried away, and I I, I try to guard myself against that. But knowing that you know, I saw him play I think twice in high school before he had a bunch of injuries and like. He was not seen as a role player. He was seen as a potential star prospect. And I think that you kind of see a little bit more of that now. And, you know, I don't want to overstate this, but he was the son of an NBA player who is now an NBA coach. And, you know, you definitely has some craft that a lot of 19-year-olds do not have. Um, that doesn't mean he's perfect and he's still a 19-year-old that makes mistakes, but you can definitely kind of see that influence on him too as a guy who just like kind of grew up around the game and knows how to play and do little things. And the on-ball juice has been encouraging, too. Like, it's not like he's a dynamic creator for others right now, but he does have more than just the you know, spot of shooting. Like, he certainly uh, has a varied skill set, and I think you said it, but he's really, he's really big. He's not the most bursty athlete, but he's, like a, he's a legitimate 220-230 already at 6'8". And, like, if he's going to be able to play some at the three and be able to kind of just play up a little bit, there was even a thought that he might play some four down the line um, as a potential small ball option. That's obviously a long way away, but I think that, the physical tools plus the shooting plus the just inherent skill level that he brings, it's hard to not play him, especially with Bogdanovich out. Like that excuse is out the window because they kind of just need him. And um, while I, I did, there's a lot of value for me and a guy like Justin Holiday as like a plug and play better defender than Edgy Griffin, like nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> it's like, well, all right, play the kid. I would also say that, um, you know, something that I've come to believe pretty strongly over the last half decade or so is the importance of sort of of physical, like body strength, in, especially in a postseason setting. And you, okay, you say Justin Holiday is a better defender. Is Justin Holiday a better defender under playoff rules? You know, where you can where you can be physical, or is or is the the the, the size? You know, probably not right now. But give, given sixty games of rotation run, would 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 Griffin be a more at least a comparable defender? So much so that the additional offensive juice is, um, is more than worth it. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question, and 
And look, they're playing they're playing Aaron Holiday is effectively a wing on this team because he's playing alongside Trey Dejounte uh, at all times unless ex- until the game that Trey missed. But Aaron Holiday is my is five eleven, I think. Like he's not a on ball guy anyway, but it's not like you can't take him out of the rotation. He's playing a wing role, and that's not really what he does necessarily either. And he's honestly been the guy that I've circled, and not that he's been playing poorly. I think he's been fine. But he's the guy I've circled as like, okay, give those minutes to Adrian Griffin now. And then when, when Bogey gets back, you have to figure out what you're going to do on, at that spot and all the way across the board. But you won't have perfect health all season long. And even if you like Justin Holiday, and that's like, that's like a pure Nate McMillan guy as, a, you know, as, a, as this 3 and D veteran. Veteranosity. Yeah, I mean, Nate, as soon as they – I mean, that was – that made the Kevin Herter deal slightly more palatable, I'd imagine, to the coaching staff because Nate was like, all right, I know what Justin Holiday is. Like, I can play that guy. But, you know, short term, obviously, A.J. brings a lot more offensively from a juice perspective, and long term, it's not even close. So it's – yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, especially on the heels of that game, if he plays – more. I don't think he's going to play 20 minutes a night on this team unless there are more injuries, but I I, I would love to see them just as a, as a neutral observer that's like, you know, just give the guy a little bit more rope because even defensively, like I he's not been great, but he's not been embarrassing. Like and for a 19-year-old playing his first minute, like he, he didn't play a ton of college basketball, didn't play a lot of high school basketball, like he looks by rookie standards fine there, which is good. And not to belabor this, but is is in, you know, 15 minutes a game is like, how much is A.J. Griffin's defense going to cost you over the course of the season? Very little. But, yeah. I mean, the same, the same thing was happening. They're different players. But, you know, the Hawks basically won the entire season last year without ever trying Jalen Johnson, who they had just drafted in the top 20. Milwaukee's own. Joe. Yeah. And, and basically, you know, it was never on the record stated. But the reason why was because Nate just said he can't play defense, essentially, right now. And he was probably right about that. Don't get me wrong. And But – you know, this is a coaching staff that does not have a lot of patience for mistakes. I think that was the problem with Jalen Johnson, but they had more cover last year because they had Gallinari and Collins. So they could just like, look, we have these two guys who are making $20 billion who are good players, and that's why we won't, we're not going to play Jalen Johnson. That excuse does not hold water with Andrew Griffin on the current on the current roster. So uh, it's kind of it's different situations, and I think Griffin's an even better prospect, and it's it's even e- easier to play him because of the shooting. He's playing a wing role versus kind of a you know hybrid big role that Jalen's playing. But it's uh, just a reminder that Nate does not like to play young guys a ton. So I know you got some pregame uh, responsibilities tonight to get to, so I'll get you out of here pretty soon. But but I want to finish up by saying by asking kind of I think we've we've sort of explored kind of the for for a team that's pretty good that you think is a high forties team, I think it's more of a mid forties team probably. A team that's okay, um, but has kind of an, a somewhat imbalanced roster and some obvious needs. Um, when when do you think they earnestly start thinking about what's next? How to how to make a change? Get they have the full sort of evaluative picture and 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 decide they want to move forward in a direction. Yeah, I think it's a good question, and I think this is it's this is not how it should be, but I think it's how it will be. I think it's going to be based on where they are in the standings this year. Uh, I think that because of what I have heard about the ownership pressure, um, which I think is it's always funny to have ownership pressure to win while they also mandate that you get out of the luxury tax. That combination is my favorite. I'm sure it's yours as well. Um, but uh, I think if they are on track to be a top six, you know, miss the play-in kind of team, like, you know, avoid the play-in kind of team. Um, I think they might even look to, you know, maybe buy, quote-unquote. It's not always buy or sell, but you know what I mean. 
try to improve this I, year. I'm not even I'm not even say, suggesting that they like look to take a step back or something like that. I just think yeah, I, I I I really just mean that like some of the deals, like for instance, the, the John Collins one in particular. Um, I don't see a, a, a very obvious pathway to them train, trading J- John Collins in the short term and getting better. Unless it's like a, a package trade because of the positioning and, and the way that, you know, Hunter, while well, people think that he, he could play the four, he really is not a four. He can't rebound the four, et cetera. That's a whole other podcast. But that's been the, the reason why John Collins is still on the team right now is because they basically mandated this summer in any discussion about John Collins that they, that they get a starting caliber power forward back in the trade. They so wanted you're trading to a starting him. power forward for a starting like well, exactly, and that's it makes it hard because like yeah. what are you what are you supposed to do? And that's and that's the thing. Like they they they've always while Collins has been available, they've always asked for what I think is a full price for him. They're not they're not they never went to like we're going to trade this guy to get him off our roster. And because of what I said before about ownership pressure, they just they knew that if they didn't have a starting power forward, like that's, that's a non-starter and it it didn't have to be a one for one, but they had to have a plan in place to get a guy to play the four because their only other option was this unproven second year guy in Jalen Johnson. And that's why I said really, especially with Collins is like, if they're winning and they're on track to be a, be a top six team, I don't see Collins going anywhere this year just because of, the, the logistics, like they're not going to suddenly want to start Jalen Johnson and playing 30 minutes a game at the four. I, I, that's not, at least, at least not this season and Capella, same thing. Like if they're winning, I think they are going to be hesitant to do an in season change to, to a Kongwu unless Capella just really, really flattens out and is not playing well. But if he's playing well and he's been their anchor, like I think this is a, this is a, this is an organization in particular, an owner that might just default to be like, all right, I'm cool with winning 48 games and then we'll figure it out in the offseason again. That's dis- that's disappointing. Well, I I, not, I, I kind yeah, of agree. It's, yeah, it's not it's not, it's, it's not it's not a whole lot of vision there, but that's the thing about. Uh, and I'm not trying to crap on this ownership group necessarily, but it's one of those things where they seem to be very much in the I'd like to make the playoffs mode. Not yeah. not 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 in the way that Washington is. Like not 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 Sacramento. Like we're playing all that matters. But like I think they would be cool with the five seed this year and be pretty excited about the five seed. Ownership wise, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's that's illegitimate. I just, when you're starting with Trey, I would kind of wish you would aim just a little higher. Like if you get to you know those, you know, there's no shame in being like those those Grizzlies teams, that were, you know, low fifties and 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 frisky and a tough out every year. Like if you get to there and say, you know what, we could take a swing, but we might take a step back, but we're good here. I guess I buy that a little more, especially when you've almost done the hard part of, of getting the, you know, the drink stir, but well, and you, you, know. you can, you can argue that they, they did push, they pushed a lot in for Murray. So that, you know, yeah. that's, that's the other side of it is like, they, they didn't just stay, but they, they could have stood pat, not all the way, but you know, they, they made correspondence with Trey Young as the best player. And they could have stayed with that kind of formula of Trey plus role players and dive men and kind of did that for a while. And they decided to kind of that's go fair. a little bit further in with Murray. So, uh, and that was, uh, I think that's a move that's working pretty good right now to bring things full circle from where we started in this conversation. But that was, that was a big move. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a complete all in move, but I think that's, that would be their rebuttal. I'm pretty sure. It's like, look, we just traded for, for Jonathan Murray. Let's figure let's, let's, uh, let's not forget that. I would say that's a, that's a move that looks, looks good. Micro looks sort of for the, all the reason we're just talking about looks a little closer to mediocre macro, but that's a. Maybe that's maybe that maybe I'm uh, 
I'm splitting hairs here. Um, <laughs> anything else you think we should uh, hit on before I before I let you go get to uh, get to the pregame availabilities? Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting across the board. I think this is a fascinating team. I think there uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the Hawks nationally the last like two days. It was like someone. It's like everyone. I think the, I think the alarm bell went off, and it was like, okay, Hawks are seven and three. Let's let's talk about it for a little. Well, bit. Well, you beat the Bucks, and uh, no nobody t- yeah. nobody's talked. To- Everyone was like, "Oh, you know who's you know who's eight? No, you know who's nine? No, the Bucks." And then the Hawks beat them, and now it's like, "Whoa!" Beat them, but no, uh, the, the Bucks the, were almost ten and zero, but then the Hawks beat them. Yeah, so now it's time to talk about the Hawks. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, this is a bad answer, but I I'm looking forward to the next ten and the next ten after that to kind of get more information about this team. I'd like to see them with Bogdanovich. I'd like to see them um, with Trey playing just just honestly just playing better than he is. Like yeah. I have no doubt he's gonna like, he's just been kind of shaky by his standards, and there's no reason to think that's going to continue. So I'd like to like evaluate them with him playing at a B-plus level versus a C-minus level, uh, just to kind of see how it all works. But other than that, that's kind of all I got. All right. Uh, Brad, you want to, uh, you want to tell, tell folks where they can find your work, and then I'll uh, let you get out of here. Yeah, I uh, am the host of the Lots on Hawks podcast five or six times a week during the season. Uh, I am on Twitter as long as Twitter exists at BT Roland with a W and I'm about to walk in, walk back in, um, from the bowels of the arena to, uh, cover Hawks jazz, the upstart Utah jazz tonight. I'm looking forward to seeing them in person too, but, uh, yeah, all those things. And I'll, I also write for diamond up rocks uh, in the, in a national kind of sense, talking about the draft and the NBA and college basketball. So at BT Roland on Twitter, lots of Hawks podcast. The Jazz, one of many teams I've tried to trade John Collins to so far this season. But, uh, <laughs> You're not alone. It's a long and distinguished been... list. Yes. Well, uh, thank, thank you uh, for mate, taking the time on short notice, and uh, thanks, folks, for listening. I believe I will have, uh, speaking of the Bucks, who everyone's wanted to talk about, I believe I'll have Eric Name uh, on tomorrow to talk about our hometown Bucks. Thanks for listening, and talk to you all later.